For the Pacifica Radio Network and from the studios of KBOO in Portland, Oregon, this is Progressive Spirit. ProgressiveSpirit.net. I'm John Schock. The power for me of the walking experience of putting on my shoes and lacing them up and walking also helped me become a metaphor by which I could understand the coming out process. For, for, for those of us who are gay or lesbian, bisexual, trans, queer, or questioning, or intersex in the LGBTQI community, there is, there is the, the useful metaphor of a closet. But there's, uh, for me, the, the next step was not only the closet, got that, <laughs> I felt that, but I needed a metaphor, I needed a, a way to talk about coming out. And for me, that was a pilgrimage. In the studio is Brett Webb Mitchell. Brett is a colleague in ministry. He is interim minister at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Southwest Portland. He's a scholar, teacher, and author of 10 books. He's also a pilgrim, and that's the discussion today. His latest book is Practicing Pilgrimage on Being and Becoming God's Pilgrim People. Brett, welcome to Progressive Spirit. Good morning. Well, talk about uh, pilgrimage. Uh, how, how did you get involved in uh, deciding to become a pilgrim? Right. Um, in the first few books I wrote on people with disabilities, one of the first few essays, I pulled on the image of people with disabilities, especially children with disabilities uh, that I was working with, primarily children with autistic-like behaviors that fell across that spectrum as being um, located or isolated in the public or town square and uh, of a medieval village. And they were kind of pilgrims without a church, pilgrims without an inn, pilgrims without a family, pilgrims without any kind of services providing them any kind of anchor. And so I used that metaphor. It seemed to work. I had read Canterbury Tales. I had seen and uh, read many travel essays. Um, came from a family that loved to travel, and, and that image seemed to work in my understanding of working with people with disabilities and trying to explain why they were not welcomed into the life of faith communities, per se. And um, I had two Catholic friends, one who was uh, the former um, secretary to Thomas Keating who wrote about uh, centering prayer, and another, um, and his name was Paul, and Megan McKenna, who was a New Testament theologian, and they said, you know, you really write pretty things about pilgrimage. Too bad you've never been on one. And uh, they, they got me. Um, I think in the, at, at the time I was uh, teaching at Duke Divinity School, and one of the things that happens at a divinity school or a school of higher education is that people like to sit in library carols or at their office and read about these things and, and, and pontificate them from a deep knowledge of these things, but never have experienced these things. So I was guilty as charged. And so they arranged that I go on my first pilgrimage in 1999, which was to Chimayo, northern New Mexico. It's a very holy site in which um, much healing comes. It's kind of the lords of the Americas, if you will. And the Archdiocese of Santa Fe, Roman Catholic, uh, has a pilgrimage every Pentecost for the last 40 years that starts from um, five different sites around uh, Chimayo and with groups of uh, 30 people per group um, from various destinations around Chimayo. They walk 120 miles in six days to Chimayo. And um, I was the only Presbyterian, I was the only uh, gringo, and uh, I, was, um, I, was, I was transformed. Uh, it, it, is one, it was one of those experiences that kind of upset my apple cart. It changed how I understood discipleship, education, and the life of the church. 
it broadened my understanding of faith. It uh, broadened my understanding of not only of the Catholic um, traditions, but also of um, native spirituality, because a lot of the people who were on the pilgrimage with me were from Taos Pueblo. So it was both this kind of strain of, of um, Native American spirituality, as well as deep um, and, and kind of mysterious northern New Mexico spirituality that that had this influence upon me uh, in walking 120 miles in six days, which, you know, you're, you're averaging around 18, 19, 20 miles a day. It's so out of my realm as a Presbyterian, as a Protestant, uh, in terms of understanding education and church and all, that I was hooked. Um, it was different than a hike. It was different than a vacation. It was different than a journey anywhere, than a um, historical journey that I had, had grown up with. And so that was the first one that kind of set my life um, towards understanding myself, not only literally, but also metaphorically as a pilgrim. And so... Well, talk about that for a second. You said it's different from a hike, different from a mm-hmm. journey. And one of my questions was, how is it different from being a tourist? Sure. Uh, t- uh, sure. What, what's the difference? Well, one of the fun things is uh, the word travel uh, comes from the um, me- medieval Latin word travail. Uh, there, okay. were, there are many travels I've been on that felt more like a travail than that, that felt like a travel. I think uh, in the last few um, years, uh, it, it, it has something to do with mindfulness. It has something to do with the sense of self-consciousness. It has something to do with self-awareness. That, 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 that what makes a, a, a journey, a pilgrimage versus a vacation or something to travel to a historical site is the intent of the pilgrim, him or herself, so that um, I can go, um, if I want to go on vacation, uh, my partner and I simply pack up, uh, grab a cheap flight from uh, Portland to Kona, and within a few hours after I arrive, I'm on the beach. I'm reading a book. I'm not on a pilgrimage. I'm literally vacating. I'm, I'm emptying myself. I don't understand that as a spiritual journey. Now, if I wanted to, I could uh, say I wanted to go to um, fly then over to Molokai and visit the sites of Father Damien and Mother Marianne. And, and thus, by going there and saying, I, I want to see where these people did this spiritual work. I want to see where they did this physical labor in, in working with people with leprosy. And, I, and I've done this hike. I've, I've walked down to the colony. And, and, and that, I did that intentionally as a pilgrimage. I broke my vacation time last year and went on, on, on a pilgrimage because the, now I, I was of the mindset, I wanted to see holy work. I wanted to see a holy place. And I wanted to see where these people lived and died. And so that, that was the difference was my mindset had changed. So in, in essence... Um, what always makes a place holy is always the people. It's not the thing itself. It's always the people who go there. There's a very famous line in the uh, pilgrimage. If you go to Escapulas, Guatemala, in which there's a beautiful cathedral, 400 years old, with a 500-year-old statue, El Cristo Negro, the Black Christ. It's a beautifully dark-skinned Christ. And um, it is said there that the figure itself is not holy. They say, the Christ you seek... In other words, the Christ you seek here. The Christ you seek you will not find unless you bring him with you. And so I think that it goes back to this mind uh, and the attitude and the direction 
of the person who's going on this trek, on this journey, that makes it a pilgrimage. The Christ you seek, you will not find unless you bring him with you. In other words, you've already got that Christ within you, and you're just simply bringing it to a, a symbol that's emotionally charged that, that helps you somewhere in your faith journey. So it's not the thing itself, but it is the people who gather time and time again. You come from the East as well as in the Southeast with Tennessee roots in part of your journey. Um, you and I uh, probably have been to churches or know of churches that have homecomings in the South. Right. And, and homecomings were, are, are basically the same thing. People come after not maybe having spent years in these churches, small and large alike, they come back. There's a sense of, and they go back, where do they go? They go to the cemetery uh, to visit the kith and kindred who have died and passed on. They go into the place where their families used to sit in the pew that they used to sit near the certain stained glass windows. They come to taste food that they used to eat. Maybe they've moved to New York City or they've moved to Miami. Now they come back to, to partake in a feast that reminds them of who and whose they are. So I think it's it's kind of always been interesting to see all of those places that pilgrimage really exists, though we never have, we haven't necessarily called it a pilgrimage, but I think there are plenty of examples of that. Brett uh, Webb Mitchell is my guest. If you're just joining us on Progressive Spirit, he's the author of Practicing Pilgrimage on Being and Becoming God's Pilgrim People. Uh, in the book, you talk about um, the pilgrimage is a journey, but it also needs a destination. Mm -hmm. And it needs a genesis. It needs a reason for leaving. So it's kind of, why, why are you at point A and why are you going to point Z or Z? So it needs both ends. It's kind of a bookmark. Um, so people leave for a variety of reasons. Um, some leave because of a crisis in their family. Some leave because of a crisis in their um, vocational life. Some leave because, you know, in the case of Pilgrim's Progress and Bunyan, uh, he, he, he talks about the, the, the place that he's living. He leaves family because the place is burning. Now, he himself at the time is writing this, this um, epic poem, this epic story from a prison cell. So it's actually prison literature. But nonetheless, the story of Pilgrim's Progress is the guy's leaving because the place is afire and he's off to find um, hope. In other words, uh, you know, the, the gates of heaven. And, and so... It, there's always the reason for leaving itself. It could be crisis, but it also could be literally and f metaphorically one has hit one's uh, crossroad of life. And so you're kind of trying to figure out which way do I want to go. And what we say to people uh, at the flip of a hand, if we sense that they're in a crisis or in a conflict, um, even a daily one, we'll say something silly like, oh, go out and take a walk. Go out and walk and clear, clean your mind, clear your mind, whatever the problem is. As you know, in one of the chapters of the book, there's a whole section on the science of walking and the importance of walking or how walking, um, Wendell Berry, the folk philosopher and uh, writer and novelist, has written something that, that basically says it well. Um, we think as fast as we walk. We process as fast as we walk. So it makes sense to tell a person if they're having a problem, go out and take a walk, take a hike, um, take a break. So there's the, the, the genesis of the journey. The destination, I, I always quibble with myself after I do a pilgrimage, whether the journey's the thing or the destination's the thing. I haven't solved that conundrum yet. I think that there's both the sweetness of the journey itself and the arduousness of the journey, but I think there's also a sense of satisfaction of having gotten to the place 
But I don't think, and this is my sense, especially when I've talked to people who've gone to Santiago de Compostela in Spain, that when they get to the cathedral, they there is a sense of the pilgrimage has ended, but it goes on. Because whatever was unraveled from point A to point Z continues to be unraveled because you can't stop this unraveling that began throughout the journey itself. And so while you've hit a kind of physical destination, there's something of the sense now that you're always going to be on this journey because the reason you went on was to kind kind of come to either at peace with with the dilemma or solved the dilemma or resolved it in some way so that you can get on with life but now life itself has has this this aura this kind of as I said, metaphorical sense of journey. And that's why with this book, it was a matter of talking not only about an actual intentional pilgrimage, but how that actual intentional pilgrimage awakens within us the sense that we are on a pilgrim journey, both metaphorically as well as literally in our daily life. You know, I'm thinking of the... uh... The famous pilgrimage that comes to mind to me uh, is uh, accounted in the autobiography of Malcolm X, yes. where he uh, goes uh, on the Hajj, uh, pilgrimage to Mecca, mm-hmm. and discovers a more expansive and inclusive experience of Islam. Right. And so uh, pilgrimage is embedded in uh, a number of religious traditions and, and, and secular too, isn't it? Well, that, and I think that's what um, where this book pushes me or where I push others who read my books on pilgrimage. This is my third book. The first book was Follow Me, and that was simply narratives because I I was just experiencing for a concentrated period of time. uh, I was going on five or six pilgrimages in two or three years' time, and so I kept on writing about these journeys in a personal essay form. Then the second book, School of the Pilgrim, was putting this because I was still attached or tethered to the academy. It was to look at the the intellectual, theological, sociological, psychological roots. So the third, um, I, I had taught a course at North Carolina Central University in HBCU in Durham, and I was reading more and more of world religions. And um, one of the things about the five major world religions, give or, or, give or take the Sikhs and the Jainists and things like this, and more native spirituality, was that everyone has the language in Buddhism, Hinduism, in Islam, in Judaism, in Christianity, has the language of journey, has the language of steps, has the language of, of followers, of, has that language that is all about movement. Um, and so I, I, in this book, you know, I, as you know, I mapped out how these other faiths how we have these, this one thing in common, those of us who are Christian or Muslim or Jew, uh, Buddhist or Hindu, we have this thing in common of, of being pilgrims, of, of being journeyers. Right. Um, so when I've now, I now have branched off in the last two years, I've spent a lot more time in India and Nepal um, following and, and going on, on pilgrimage with people who are Buddhists or Hindu or Sikhs or Jainists because I'm fascinated by how alike and different our traditions are. And, and um, I think that it, it, it's been mind expanding, heart expanding. So to go like with Malcolm X, it, it has kind of um, taken me out of my parochialism into a world that I, I, I'm enjoying this conversation. I'm enjoying the, the sharing and kind of what I've always considered, especially in this day and age, is how, how fun it would be to do a pilgrimage of peace, if you will, where the uh, getting a group of people from various faith traditions to 
go on a pilgrimage to Santiago, go on a pilgrimage to uh, Varanasi um, and Mother Ganga, uh, or the Bagmati River in Nepal, um, these places that are holy, and, and see what we can share, see what we, what, see, see what we have that's different from each other, but see what's beautiful about what we can share together with each other, as well as Jerusalem, which is, as you know, a place that Jew and Christian and Muslim alike meet and have property. And that's, uh, I kind of was thinking about that, trips to uh, what we call the Holy Land. Uh, I, I went on one, oh, probably 23, 24 years ago, and it, it's, there's an odd feeling about it. You yeah, know, you yeah, have yeah, on yeah, this yeah. bus with people. Right, I'm right. not really sure. I get, and someone was saying, yeah, this is a pilgrimage. And I'm thinking, no, it's I don't not. know. No. Well, except that the person is intent on on, yeah. on on finding these places, come come by either foot or by bus. Um when I've gone to the, and it's interesting that we call it the Holy Land, so it shows a kind of, if you will, bias, cultural bias, religious bias, that we will call it, we hear it called the Holy Land, and acknowledge that it must be somewhere in the Middle East, but, you know, they, if if, you, if one goes to India, one can't help but um, hit a shrine every other few feet. Sure. I mean, it's, it, it is a land... To me, India is a land saturated with pilgrimage sites. When I go to uh, go on pilgrimage in India, I have uh, worked with a group, ex- ex- Excellent India Ventures. That's that's my plug for the day. And it's two brothers in a very small little village of Canberra, but they, set, they, they know me well now. And so what they do is at the beginning of a day, they would simply take off, t- put me in front of one shrine, push me out of the car, and say, we'll see you in another two or three or four or five hours. Go see your shrines. And they leave me alone to walk in uh, Jaipur, Udaipur, um, Mumbai, wherever I need to go. <clears throat> because, you know, I'm going to – you meet people who's, who's, in the case of Hinduism, whose god may be Ganesha or Saraswati, and they, you know, they want to take you to their shrine, their, their home shrine, their personal shrine. And it's, it's, it's just fascinating because you, there's no end of, of shrines in either Nepal or, or India. I mean, both are places of, of residence of both – and Lhasa uh, of Buddhism and Hinduism. So – now, let's talk uh, kind of personally and, and spiritually about this. You write about becoming God's pilgrim people. Mm-hmm. So what is it about the pilgrimage or the journeying that connects us to what is holy? Is, is it kind of an awakening to the yeah. impermanence of life? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, um, again, for the Muslim, Jew, and Christian, um, for us, our, our roots go back to Abraham and Sarah. And I think what's interesting is, in all the literature, they are always pointed to, this couple are pointed to as the first pilgrims, as the first ones that God calls them to a new land. And so they follow God. They, they are the ones who are the chief doubters. I doubt that she's ever going to have a baby. I doubt that we're ever going to get anywhere. I doubt that there's anything that good's going to come out of this relationship. They are the chief doubters in which God keeps on showing them time and time again, now follow me and this will happen. Follow me, do this and this will happen. And so they become, for us, the paradigm, the prototype of a pilgrim life, because following that you have Moses, following that. And for me, I think where it helped me in my faith um, was was understanding Jesus as one of the late brothers from the Teze community called Jesus the Pilgrim God. For me, especially as a gay man, um, what kept me in the faith when there was everything within our denomination in the Presbyterian Church, let alone other denominations, especially United Methodists and the like, who are still not at the party yet, um, what kept me in was not 
it was not the politics of our church. It was the relationship with Brother Jesus or the Pilgrim God. I could relate and felt in my coming out, and this, is, this, is, this was crucial, 1999 wasn't only my first pilgrimage, but it was also the year that I was coming out of the closet. Mm. And so it became the power for me of the, the, the walking experience of putting on my shoes and lacing them up and walking also helped me become a metaphor by which I could understand the coming out process. For, for, for those of us who are gay or lesbian, bisexual, trans, queer, or questioning, or intersex in the LGBTQI community, there is, there is the, the useful metaphor of a closet. But there's, uh, for me, the, the next step was not only the closet, got that, <laughs> I felt that, but I needed a metaphor, I needed a, a way to talk about coming out. And for me, that was a pilgrimage, that Brother Jesus gave me the tools, gave me the way, showed me the way of living honestly. And I, I even said this to the church this last week in a sermon. Um, the sermon's title was Authenticity, because Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew is talking about, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And the first one of the first ones is, you know, um, not only not murder, but don't say anything false about an, uh, your sister or brother. Well, as a gay man, I had a lot of people talking about me. So I think that it was, it was always helpful for me to understand that my coming out process was a, was a pilgrimage in which Brother Jesus was walking with me. Um, even though the church wasn't necessarily in terms of the institution, I had enough, enough brothers and sisters who were walking with me that I could understand that. So... For me, for me personally, it's always been a most helpful practice, but also metaphor that I could ex- and and that I could explain what was going on within my life. But also, I f- I have found other LGBTQI people who understand that it's a helpful metaphor for them as well. As you mentioned, because we're talking also about pilgrimages, social justice. You have a chapter on a pilgrimage, pilgrimage of justice and peace. You mentioned the civil rights movement. Uh, it seems like every week in Portland, we mm-hmm. have a march for justice in some sense of another Black Lives Matter or the Women's March right, right. or a march for housing justice. I know is, is coming up. So what makes a political march a pilgrimage? And is there a time when a march might not be a pilgrimage? Mm-hmm. I think, again, go back to it. Go back. It goes back to the understanding of the mind of the and, and the awareness and social consciousness of the one who's on the journey. So in, in looking at, for example, Selma to Montgomery and, and, and all, that, that, was a, that was a spiritual march. Um, the way that King and Abernathy and, and, and the like uh, understood themselves, I mean, the, Rosa Parks and, and um, all, these, all, all these wonderful uh, figures of American history now, they understood that the, that that their march of justice was was a, a justice that was declared by God, <laughs> and so they bracketed in such language. For me, most recently, as you know, coming from North Carolina, I was a early participant in what has has since become known as the Moral Monday marches. Right. Uh, Reverend Barber was at Duke when I was teaching at Duke. He was he he hung out, so I knew him as a student at Duke. Um, Reverend Barber has bracketed everything that he's done with the Moral Monday movement in North Carolina and beyond in the language of social justice, but of God's justice. Therefore, if you were to ask him, uh, excuse me, if you were to ask uh, Reverend Barber, are you a Democrat, are you a Republican, are you independent? He would say, this is not about politics. He said, I would have been, I would have been strongly cursing the Democrats if they were practicing injustice as I would a Republican. So I think that's, that, that um, even with St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, 
what I've tried to help us do is con consider in what ways, given the political day and age in which we live, what we do as a community of faith is based upon gospel justice so that it is, it is free of, of politics in terms of the body politics or the state politics, but is founded solely upon the politics of the kingdom of God. To use that language, I think John Howard, the late John Howard Yoder talked about that kind of thing. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. talks about that. Reverend Barber does. That, so that these marches, what we're doing is we're participating in an act of God's justice that goes beyond the politics of this day and age. The way we're reacting today, uh, I believe Jesus would have reacted to Caesar um, and Tiberius. And, and so there's really, I mean, this is nothing new to us as, as people of faith. This is, this is what we do. We walk for matters of justice, housing, equity. We're against misogyny. We're, we're against um, uh, any, anything that has to do with um, discrediting anyone of, of race or religion. I mean, the, again, this is the way of Jesus. Anyone, uh, regardless of gender or, or sexual orientation, identification, we walk for justice. That's that's what we do. We just have a couple of uh, minutes left. Uh, Brett Webb Mitchell, my guest, Practicing Pilgrimage is his book on on being and becoming God's pilgrim people. You have a website called School of the Pilgrim. I do. Uh, how do people enroll? Well, what they do is go on there, and what, what it offers is ways of, uh, for example, if you will, hiring me out. Um, uh, because what I want to start doing uh, is – Offering, for example, say at uh, Southminster or, or St. Andrews, I did this last weekend, in fact, with First Presbyterian Church Corvallis, taking people on retreats, taking them um, on a two or three day retreat and helping people learn about the pilgrimage. And so what I'm more, what I think I'm becoming, John, is I'm becoming an evangelist for pilgrimage. <laughs> and so I want people to understand, and there is because of the plethora of labyrinths that are around the area, interdenominationally as well as interreligious, I kind of want I, I kind of want to beckon people to take the next step, if you will, both metaphorically as well as literally, and go on a pilgrimage. Because I think that again, the labyrinths were created for those who could not go to Jerusalem, for example, or to Rome or Santiago de Compostela. So what I'm wanting to do with School of the Pilgrim is offer my services to help people go on a journey. So. Uh, by creating opportunities in the Portland area or taking a group of people to Santiago. I'm taking a group of United, Method, United Methodist ministers in May. Um, I've invited a group of friends, for example, to go with me to Machu Picchu uh, in October. So constantly uh, inviting people to go along with me, as well as myself going on intentional pilgrimages by myself once a year so that I can keep on every year remembering who and whose I am. Practicing Pilgrimage on Being and Becoming God's Pilgrim People. Brett Webb Mitchell has been my guest. That's his book. And your website for your School of the Pilgrim? Uh, www.schoolofthepilgrim.com. Brett, thanks so much for being with I me. I appreciate it, John. You've been listening to Progressive Spirit, spirituality, social justice, on public and community radio stations and via podcast at progressivespirit.net. From KBOO in Portland, Oregon, I'm John Schott. Be well. 